This program is brought to you by the Assembly of Geeks, geek content for a geeky world. Visit us at assemblyofgeeks.com. Nineteen seventy-seven Star Wars changed the world. It redefined how films are created and consumed. The franchise it spawned continues to push the boundaries today. On this episode, we dissect this iconic film, A New Hope, from the vantage of our own machete order. Welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey guys, I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this very exciting episode where we finally get to talk about A New Hope. Woo! I have to be honest, I have a little bit of anxiety about talking about this episode because it's like one of the greatest films ever made. (laughs) Well, we should probably just put a disclaimer before the episode, as in we're not going to be able to cover everything about A New Hope in this one hour episode. You know, I know. It's just impossible. <laughs> and we're not going to hit all the points that everyone thinks we should be hitting, or we're going to forget something majorly important, like that it was actually Luke who blew up the Death Star, you know, something crazy like that. So uh-huh. just cut us some slack if you hear something wrong <laughs> or yes. we don't cover what you want us to cover. Uh, yeah. I We got a lot of tweets about what people wanted us to cover, and I hopefully that we get to, I hope that we get to some of those, but... I don't know if we'll be able to get to every single thing because, you know, this movie is just packed, filled with like a million great parts and great characters. And we're excited to talk about it, especially how it relates to us moving from The Phantom Menace into A New Hope. I'm really excited to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, we both are. But first thing, a little housekeeping. We released a special episode on Wednesday about the D23 news with The Sizzle Reel, and we talked about Star Wars Land, Star Wars Galactic Edge. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Galaxy's Edge. Wait. Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's what did Edge. you say? Galactic Edge. Galactic like, Edge. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Galactic Senate. It's, it sounds like a club, like Galactic Edge. <laughs> <laughs> but like a really bad club. You don't Yeah, wanna... yeah, yeah. No. And then the cooler club is like next door. Um, And then we also talked about the posters. So make sure to check that out. Um, We had to talk about it, so we just released a very quick episode about it. And then we had a lot of fun talking all about Moulin Rouge on our Patreon page last week. So if you guys are new to our Machete series, basically what Charlotte and I are doing is with each of the saga films, we're going to be highlighting one of the actors from the trilogy. So last time we covered um, The Phantom Menace and we highlighted Ewan McGregor and we put a poll up on our Twitter where listeners could vote to hear us talk about one of Ewan McGregor's movies, Moulin Rouge or Down With Love, Moulin Rouge one so we talked about it for free on our patreon page and so this week I'm so excited because we are going to be highlighting you guessed it Mark Hamill movies and a fun fact about middle school Caitlin after she got really into Star Wars is that I had a running list on my bulletin board of all of Mark Hamill's movies and I would cross them off when I saw them (laughs) Um, and two of my favorites are going to be featured in our poll this week so You can vote in our poll starting tomorrow um, for us to talk about either A, Corvette Summer, or B, The Big Red One, and you probably could not pick two more different movies 
than these. <laughs> no. It's like Corvette Summer, Big Red One. And if you don't know, Corvette Summer is a 70s movie about cars and girls. And then the Big Red One is this really gripping war film about World War II. They're they're both incredible for very different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I really want Corvette Summer to win. Oh, because yeah. Because it's just, we have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I really do love the Big Red One, too. Like, it's it's really good. So just like, well, last week, last week, two weeks ago, I really did want Down With Love to win. But I'm really happy that we talked about Moulin Rouge because yeah. I think we both had a lot to say about it. Yeah. So yeah. It, we, we can't pay should... pretty heavily for Down With Love, but yeah, yeah, right. Moulin Rouge won. <laughs> But yeah, you can check that out on our Patreon page for free. And all of these bonus discussions are going to continue to be free. But of course, mm-hmm. if you want to support us on Patreon, podcasting isn't free um, for us to produce. So any anything you could do to help us, that would be fantastic. Okay, so next order of business is that we received a really nice email from a listener named Ross, and I think that Caitlin and I just wanted to read a segment of it and kind of respond to it because he brought up some really interesting points, right, Caitlin? Yeah, and he was talking about uh, our discussion on the Phantom Menace making of documentary. So I'll let you read part of that email, Charlotte. Okay. This is what he said. These days, you never see a studio-approved warts and all documentary on the making of any movie. As you mentioned, The Force Awakens behind-the-scenes features don't mention anything about Arndt or even Harrison Ford's injury. So I think this is a case of what originally came across as, as an even-handed documentary that didn't shy away from the challenges of filmmaking, and it now looks negative by modern-day rah-rah standards. Thanks again for the great show. Well, I really loved getting this email because I think it's so interesting having someone's perspective who um, was, you know, around when that documentary came out and was kind of experiencing The Phantom Menace from a little bit of an older perspective, which I'm sorry, Ross, I'm assuming you're a little bit older. Um, But like I didn't see Phantom Menace until after it already had this more negative reputation for better or for worse. And so that's kind of always how I'm viewing that movie um, is that I know it has a negative reputation, but when it first premiered, no one knew what the movie was going to be about, you know? And so all you could say was, oh my gosh, I'm so glad they're being so upfront about how hard it is to restart the Star Wars franchise. So I think it, it is interesting how that would have been something really commendable back then, but then now we see it in a completely different perspective. And it really does shed different light on things like The Force Awakens and even The Last Jedi for that matter, um, how... You don't want to acknowledge any of the negative things that are going on in the production. Everything mm-hmm. is just rainbows and sunshine. Yeah. For like how hard the training was and like we really worked hard. <laughs> yeah. And like we're conquering special effects that are just so hard to do. But you, but really using practical effects. <laughs> Building all these intense sets. Not too many special effects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We love The Force Awakens. <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> I just, you know, film PR can really make or break a movie in this day and age. And that documentary was a very interesting look in that time period. And um, thank you so much, Ross, for that email. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you can email us at skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com if you want to give us your thoughts about this episode. 
All right. So I think we should actually start talking about A New Hope, right? Yes. Let's (laughs) do it. So this is going to be our template for all of our Star Wars saga films. So in part one, we're going to be covering the story of the film. In part two, we're going to be covering the characters of the film. And in part three, we're kind of calling that our catch-all, where we're going to respond to um, some listener feedback um, and some comments, also looking at the reception of the film, uh, behind-the-scenes featurettes, different things like that. So it'll be a big a big catch-all. Yep, and talking about how it fits into Machete a little bit more specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. Somewhere in space. This may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes and villains and aliens from a thousand worlds. Star Wars, a billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. Okay, so welcome to part one, where we're going to discuss the story. So, Caitlin, let's just get into it. How does the story feel, especially in comparison to The Phantom Menace and just basically as the first made Star Wars movie ever? Basically sets a template. It does set a template. And it's funny that after all these years coming back to it, you can feel it acting like a template, following the steps. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, It's very clear how one thing is going to lead to another. And I think that's due in part to the sheer number of times we've seen it. Um, (laughs) And then also just how classic the storytelling in this movie is. Um, There's a reason why it's lasted so long. It's because it's so classic. It's something that's rooted in stories thousands of years ago all the way up into our present time. So it works and it works for a reason. Totally. It's a classic hero's journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny how it's, you know, just starting in the middle of the story. That's the whole idea that George was going for. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're doing, especially coming straight from The Phantom Menace. Coming from The Phantom Menace, you see that A New Hope and that movie share a lot of the same beats. And they do. Yeah. And it's just, it's, and even, I mean, I don't want to sound negative because I do think that this is like I mentioned before, you know, this is one of the best movies ever made, but it does kind of follow this like slow build. And I, yeah, I'm really not a fan of the beginning of A New Hope. Me neither. It takes 30 minutes for us to get to Obi-Wan it's, and it just takes so long. And, you know, it, even even in The Phantom Menace, it takes a little bit of time for us to get somewhere. Mm hmm. And I think part of that is the point because we're totally thrown into this world and we're supposed to accept everything as it is. Um, And like the first thing that we see are these rebel soldiers in like these crazy hats and this big monster. We don't even know if he's human coming through the door with these white helmeted soldiers like and the only real like 
human. I mean, of course, the rebel soldiers are human, but they have they have these funny hats on. The only person that like looks normal is Princess Leia. But then again, she has like this crazy bun hairstyle, and, and we're just supposed to accept lip it. Gloss. Some serious yeah. lip gloss. And then we follow these droids for thirty minutes. It's, it's and. Long. We're just supposed to accept it and like, all right, this is the world that we're in. And it's it's great that it follows that path because then we're fully immersed in it and we don't even question anything really anymore about like, oh, that's weird. Oh, you know, do you know what I mean? It's it's very sci-fi. It is. Um, what I think is really interesting, what you said earlier about the coming into the middle of the story and how that's such a hallmark of Star Wars and particularly the original trilogy is I really think that's emphasized when you put the Phantom Menace first and then come into A New Hope because, I mean, you can tell immediately that something has changed, that there Mm -hmm. is a big and drastic change that has happened in the galaxy. And I think that elevates your confusion even more in a good way, in a curious way, where you're thinking about, oh my gosh, what, what has happened to the galaxy you know last time we saw everything was hunky-dory and and the gun guns and and padme were getting along grand they're having a grand old time and now (laughs) looks like some serious ish has gone down yeah Um, totally and then in in a different but similar vein the beginning doesn't seem as long i think after rogue one because there is such an urgency that comes from viewing rogue one and you have that in the back of your head now when you're watching a new hope so you're i think you're a little bit more invested in what's going on with r2 d2 and c3po uh it works a little bit better I, I agree. But coming from the Phantom Menace, though, it's like we're, we're coming into this. We're not supposed to have seen Rogue One, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. on, in this watch order that it does feel kind of slow. But that's yeah, not does. necessarily the worst thing ever because it does kind of give us time to breathe in this world. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and, and what's also nice is that you recognize R2-D2 and C-3PO. Maybe yeah. Not, maybe not immediately because they weren't as prominent in the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. But you you see them and you particularly when you hear C-3PO, you would think, oh, wait, I think I know that voice, you know, and, and it's this connection. And then it's further kind of asking, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Lots of things have changed. Uh, but what exactly has changed and what's happened to everyone we left in The Phantom Menace. And what I also think is nice about this too is that the coming out of The Phantom Menace is that you go directly to Naboo, or um, sorry, to Tatooine, which is a place we spent a lot of time in The Phantom Menace. So it's like you're having these familiar components of the story even though you don't exactly know everything that's happened in the time between The Phantom Menace and A New Hope. Yeah, and another thing that I was trying, I was trying to keep track of this, and I think I did a really bad job of it, but I just, I basically just watched the A New Hope again this afternoon. I was trying to figure out when they first say Skywalker. Yeah, they... And I think it's not until Luke says, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you. It's not. Yeah, I was watching for that too. So I think something that is actually done really well by watching Phantom Menace and then A New Hope is the eventual reveal that Vader is Anakin slash Luke's father Um, Mm -hmm. because you it's like the it's like A New Hope is kind of slowly revealing to you all these tidbits about everything that happened throughout the story so first we start with R2 and C-3PO then we get Tatooine okay I recognize this place but things are still a little different but Tatooine's still kind of the same and then you meet Obi-Wan Kenobi and you're like whoa 
what has happened <laughs> mm-hmm. and then and then he talks about the force and he it's very different than how Qui-Gon Jinn talks about the force yeah and I then, wrote that in my notes too <laughs> me too and it's interesting too because you kind of see how it, it emphasizes more how different Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan were and we see that in the Phantom Menace and then it's kind of paralleled here in A New Hope too and so then after that then we hear him talk about Vader and how Vader betrayed and murdered Obi-Wan or Luke's father but you still don't know who Luke is and it's not until you get on the Death Star and you hear him say I'm Luke Skywalker and you go oh my god and little Annie <laughs> that's little Annie's son and then yeah. it's like well wh- what has happened that's I true I, I didn't even so much more invested yeah I didn't even think about the fact that you don't know that Anakin is Vader isn't that weird like I, I yeah. for some reason didn't even remember that but that is really cool. That's a cool transition. It is. It's I was it it's like unraveling a mystery. Yeah, it's like it's, filling in all these different pieces. Yeah, but slowly and it's it's cool because and because you're you're familiar with how the story beats of a new hope should work because it is very classical, you're kind of looking for these little hints that pop up at different spots throughout the movie to fill you in on what's happened since we last left Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme. Um, And we'll continue. I'm interested to see how more of that mystery is unraveled in Empire Strikes Back until we get to the reveal that Anakin is Vader. I didn't think that it would be as interesting as it was. I'll be honest. No, me neither. Because in the last last episode, we were like, we're not going to like it. And, you know, I don't even know if I do fully like it. And we'll save this for part three. But I do think that it is a really interesting comparison because they're both mm-hmm. beginnings of trilogies. Yeah, so they, they do kind of, again, like we mentioned, follow the same story beats and kind of start their story in their own way. Mm-hmm. But I really want to go back to talking about how Qui-Gon talks about the Force versus how Obi-Wan talks about the Force because yeah. I think that this is a really interesting comparison because the way that Qui-Gon talks about the Force is very clinical. He talks about the midichlorians. Um, it's very specific and how they're in our blood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the way that Obi-Wan talks about it is the way that most people talk about the Force, you know, that it's a mystical energy field and it binds mm-hmm. us and it's in the every, you, you know. And I just think that it provides even more of a stark comparison between the prequel era and the original trilogy era and just that time period in Star Wars in general about how much has changed in the government, in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that they've potentially lost touch with how the Force used to work. The way that Obi-Wan talks about it highlights how it's basically like an ancient thought process. Yeah, well, when you compare how they both talk about it, you kind of think about how it doesn't really match their personalities, how they describe the Force, because Qui-Gon is our rebel Jedi, right? So you would think that he would be the one to describe it very mystical and, you know, the very ancient energy that surrounds us and binds us and yada, yada, yada. And you would think that Obi-Wan, who was very by the book, at Mm -hmm. least from what we got in The Phantom Menace, he would be the one to be kind of watching midi-chlorian counts very closely with his charts and pie graphs and things. Um, And he does that a little bit in The Phantom Menace because he's the one who is telling Qui-Gon what Anakin's midi-chlorian count is. So so again, I, I think it's a really good indicator of how much things have changed in the time passage that things there's been a a paradigm shift in the jedi um and how they view and understand the force Mm -hmm. i totally agree even though there's so much to get through i think that we should move on to talk about characters in part two for an entire generation 
people have experienced Star Wars, the only way it's been possible, on the TV screen. But if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. Now, for its 20th anniversary, the adventure of a lifetime returns to the big screen in a way you've never seen before. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. With newly enhanced visual effects. They're coming in too fast! THX and digital sound. And a few new surprises. On President's Day weekend, 1997, George Lucas and 20th Century Fox invite you to welcome back Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2. Finally, the motion picture event, the way it was meant to be experienced. This will be a day long remembered. The Star Wars Trilogy, Special Edition. See it again, for the first time. The Force will be with you, always. Welcome back to part two, where we are going to be talking all about the characters of A New Hope. So, Charlotte, who is your standout character for A New Hope? This viewing? It was Han. <laughs> I think I feel the same way. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad we're on the same page about this because uh, Han and Obi Wan. <laughs> yeah, Obi Wan too. Yeah. Um. It just. I don't know. Maybe because we've been talking about Han Solo a lot, like as a character because of the Han Solo mm-hmm. film. But I was very clued in to like Han's story and his journey and you know his character arc. And this is such a good beginning for him, which is very problematic for what is to come with the Han Solo film. But um, we see him and he is so convinced in who he, who he is and who, what he stands for. And the quote that really stood out to me this viewing was, no mystical energy field. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. When you really put that into perspective and see where Han Solo goes in The Force Awakens and what happens to him, was it the will of the Force? Like, I don't know. It, it, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just struck a lot by Han. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think we would both probably agree that Han knew he was going to die when he went out on that catwalk. Exactly. It was like it, his, destiny his destiny to try to bring mm-hmm. his son back. At and, all costs, even death. And like that that was his own choice again. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a big thing between personal choice and like what is the will of the force and mm-hmm. maybe they're interrelated, but maybe they I think they are. My general consensus is that they are pretty related. Um Well and- it's it's like it was the will of the force that Han would go out on that catwalk. And I guess you could kind of see it as Han knew that he needed to go out on the catwalk no matter what happened. Whether yeah. he was able to bring Kylo back or it led to his demise. And mm-hmm. he was willing to take that risk. Yeah. And what we see here, though, is his beginnings of someone who's so sure of himself, but also pretty kind. Um, you see, like, the way that he was talking to... the, the A scene that really struck me was when they were escaping the Death Star in the Millennium Falcon in... Um, 
the what is it when they're shooting the guns i am so bad with ship terminology oh my gosh they're shooting you know, the guns they're the shooting black. the guns no 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 they're in the cool little seats oh han is like he's funny you know he's like great kid don't get cocky but when luke's like pouting at the table han's like come on buddy we still got work to do or we're not out of this yet it's like it's kind of cute. <laughs> he's I don't know. He's well, like he calling on Luke to help. Yeah. yeah he takes yeah. he takes a liking to like this young kid who's like basically abandoned. It is so perfect for his character than what we see him later in the series that how he really does take a liking to all these different people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I it made me really like Han a lot more watching this this version. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting in the four or in the Last Jedi to see what really pulled them all apart. Because even when we get into Empire Strikes Back, Han is Han has clearly developed even a deeper connection with Luke, and was the only one who was willing to go out and look for him on Hoth. But for some reason, he was never able to find. I want to know if he went out looking for Luke at in during the Force Awakens era. Or if he looked and looked and just couldn't find him. I think he did. Sad. Yeah. Of course. This is this is the moment in our podcast where we, where we are say like sad. We're sad. <laughs> It'll probably come up again. <laughs> but the characters in general, I think that one thing that this movie does get right and it's really, really right is that we spend a lot of time getting to know Luke and seeing his surroundings and seeing where he came from. And there's a lot of moments of silence where we show, don't tell type things about Luke, about, you know, the sunset. One of, maybe the best character moment in all of Star Wars. You know everything that you need to know about Luke in that moment, that he wants more. And it's also the last time that he's ever going to stare at those twin sons and be at the homestead. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's it's brimming. I, I always think of that scene as it's brimming with what's to come. And it's kind of that melancholy before it all starts. Yeah, it is very melancholy. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not super happy. It's not unbelievably no. hopeful, but it's still, it's still hopeful, but yeah. in like a sorrowful way because, I mean, we know as like repeat, repeat, repeat viewers <laughs> that his aunt and uncle are about to be like completely brutally murdered. It's so not casual. casual. (laughs) Um, But we get all this time of Luke, uh, you know, with the droids, conversing with the droids, talking about what he wants. It's basically like an extended I want moment in a musical. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Luke takes such a good journey and he's such the perfect character to be introduced into this part of the Star Wars timeline with. Mm -hmm. He's a great character. I love him. Me too. <laughs> Understatement. Um, one thing that I liked about this viewing was I liked how with Leia in particular, it was like the movie went out of its way to show us how Leia was continually right about things. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the trash compactor, um, how that was the right move. Um, and with the tracking beam, it was like she – after they escape from the Death Star and, you know, they go back to – Vader oh, yeah. and Tarkin and Vader Vader's like so did you get the tracking beam on and Tarkin's like yeah of course we did and yeah, then and it, she, it she's like back. they're tracking us yeah, and <laughs> like WTF no they're not and Leia's like 
Okay. Right. <laughs> but one thing that I was a little confused about is if Leia knows that they're tracking them, which clearly she does, why would she take them back to Yavin Because she 4? knows that they only have a little bit amount of time. I, I and mean, that's where the fleet is, and they have to figure out I, how to do it. I guess and in the but amount I was of like, time. Couldn't she have transmitted the plans from the Millennium Falcon, like out in space, back to Yavin? We saw how well that happened. I know, but, like, they transmitted. <laughs> yeah, but with, like, the g- most giant satellite dish you've ever seen in your life. I guess. they were huge. I guess they had, like, 1980s computer programming <laughs> and Wi-Fi oh, yeah. access. <laughs> Can travel to light speed, but needs a satellite the size of a small moon to uh, transmit <laughs> some, some data. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get that. I get that explanation, but I also think that they should have been able to transmit the plans from the ship. But you know, yeah, just I ag- I agree, but then it it brings a sense of urgency to the plot. It does. It and needs you need that. <laughs> yeah, and you need that. I get it. I get it. But something that I thought was interesting too, in another Phantom Menace parallel that I thought went really nicely with A New Hope, is Vader and Obi Wan battle. Um, it felt it, it wasn't exactly identical, but I was definitely getting um, Qui Gon versus Maul vibes because um, it was it was very kind of stop and go, just like Maul and Qui Gon's is when they're in the when they're going through the the force fields, and then Obi Wan even does that small moment of meditating, just like oh, Qui Gon yeah. did before he died, and then you have Luke see it, just like Obi Wan saw it in the Phantom Menace, and both of them shout no. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's a really good parallel. Thank you. Um, Um, You know, uh, Emma, Knight of M on Twitter, pointed out that a really sad moment about Obi-Wan, about how when he kind of resigns himself, puts his lightsaber up, and, you know, Vader cuts him in half, he sees in that moment, like, Luke and Leia back together, and he's done his job, and that, therefore, he can die. And it's just... I don't know. It's just kind of sad. Second mention of sadness in Star Wars this episode you know. of Sky Talkers. <laughs> um, yeah. How did she put it that the, the last thing Obi-Wan saw was the new hope of Luke and Leia? Something like that. And you're just like, wow, that's really poetic and really true and really sad all at totally. once. I just think Obi-Wan's character in this film is means so much more coming after The Phantom Menace. I just feel like you know him a little better, and so you're more invested in his character, but you you still know that that you're going to be filled in on what happened to him, too. Yeah, yeah, I, completely. It, you it, just it, see him so young in yeah. The Phantom Menace, and you don't really see that much of him, either. You don't really know, really, who Obi-Wan is or what he's about. You just know that he's a student, mm-hmm. you know, and then he's placed under such incredible responsibility to train this boy after his master dies in his arms and that's basically what you know about obi-wan you know and then so when you see him in a new hope he's this old man who comes with so much you know history and you can see that in alec guinness which is like one of the best things about Mm -hmm. alec guinness's performance is that you fully believe in his eyes that he fought in the clone wars with anakin by his side you know so and then it, it imparts this like insane imagination on the viewer to be able to think about 
what transpired between that period of time and then this what we see him now in this hut mm-hmm. on Tatooine doesn't even remember that his name was Obi-Wan until this young kid reminds him. Yeah, it, it's one of those weird things to see to go from seeing someone so young to then immediately seeing them at their end. Mm-hmm. It, it's really cool. It's totally. really cool. I really like it. Me too. And, you know, it would be really cool if we got a Kenobi movie because then we could even see more of this time period and it would just add to this discussion even more. It's whatever. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> One day. <laughs> Someday. Okay. Um, but, you know, something I really do love about the characters in this film and the characterization, I think that maybe it's, maybe Empire is the best. No, I don't know. Uh, I can't decide. The Force Awakens. <laughs> I don't know. I can't decide. But I think the George Lucas really got it right with the characterization of this film. By the end of the movie, we know who each of these characters are, like, yeah. firmly. I think you know? a lot of it, though, goes back to just the fact that this was such a classic story, the hero's journey, and then mm-hmm. also the the actors, Mark, Carrie, Harrison, um, everyone. Yeah. I think they deserve so much credit because, as we know, George Lucas, his priority isn't necessarily character moment. It's more visuals and, and special effects and, and bigger picture, I think, and, and like the music and things like that. Um, I mean, his famous quote is faster, more intense, you know, um, he mm-hmm. wants to get through it. Um, so I think a lot of credit, of course, goes to George, but also to, to our actors for really creating characters that felt real. Mark Hamill really must have understood the role of Luke because you know, he gave us like a super whiny Luke that we all will agree that the payoff to what we see Luke in in Return of the Jedi is perfect. It's the best arc. Mm-hmm, um, and Mark Hamill totally captured that boyish charm and that whininess that we all love. You know, we, we really do. We, I don't think people complain about Luke's whininess and they say it in jest, you know. Oh, yeah. Because they know that it's necessary for his character to build and grow. It is. It's completely necessary. And you, I think you see little pieces of that throughout the movie of him being childish, but also stepping up to the plate. Like when he, you know, he does the whole, I was going into Tashi Station. And then you have that contrasted immediately with the moment where he sees Baru and Owen at the homestead and you just see in his eyes it's like responsibility has fallen on him yeah it's i have nothing yeah he's like i have nothing left here i have to yeah i have to do this and and what i liked too about this um was that when he leaves obi-wan and 3po and r2 to go back to the homestead after they run across the jawa transport it's it's so similar to what he does in empire strikes back where obi-wan is like you can't help them and Luke just runs off because that, that's where his heart is. And it's, yeah. it's just like Aww. that innate goodness in him is to is to help his friends and his family. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. cute. It's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I love Luke. I heart Luke. <laughs> but I mean, we, we talked about Leia before, but Leia is... We've talked about Leia so much. <laughs> For good yeah. reason. Yeah, that she's just uh, feels so different and fresh and not a damsel in distress at all and we don't get that vibe at all from her but instead we get here hold this from luke handing her the blaster and then she shoots two two stormtroopers as luke is fiddling with his grappling hook yeah you know and also padme shoots from behind like a column in the phantom menace 
Yeah. Like oh, the- yeah. <laughs> it's such a... <laughs> Love that. Like, Phantom Menace parallels everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they both shoot blasters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's actually, like, in general, a lot of Phantom Menace to A New Hope parallels. Like, even the destruction of the Trade Federation thing at the end to, mm-hmm. like, the destruction of the Death Star. Like, that's very well, purposeful. There's so many parallels, though. Even, I mean, the Trench Run versus the Pod Race. It's, it's the same. It's that yeah. end of the movie excitement. Yeah, but the thing is, is that that's super pur- purposeful or like obvious, maybe not pur- purposeful is not the right word. It's it's very obvious. Um, but there's these little subtle comparisons that really work well as a, you know, a whole story, even viewing them out of original sequence. Mm-hmm. This film really does introduce us to some classic characters and gives them time to breathe and for the audience to understand them. And I think that's why... It is part like partially why it is hailed as one of the greatest movies of all time. Yep. Totally agreed. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. I will say one of my favorite moments of this movie is the the shot of Tarkin right before the Death Star blows up. Oh yeah, me too. He's I, you know so pensive. I love that shot. I yeah, love it. it's so great. <laughs> but if you had to pick a favorite, like, what's your favorite part of this movie? Do you enjoy when they're on? The Death Star more, or like the Trench Run, or when Luke is on Tatooine with Obi Wan. Um, I like every scene that's in the Falcon. Yeah, I do too. Every I really, scene. I really like the when they're on the Death Star once they get to Leia. Mm-hmm. I, I love those those sequences when they're in the trash compactor, when they're running around, when Han leaves them, and yeah, like, your friend's quite a mercenary. <sighs> what good will it do it if he gets himself killed? I know. <laughs> Run off. What? Something I wrote in my notes that I didn't mention, but I'll mention now, is I think one of the most important scenes for our characters is the trash compactor scene, and I think most people will agree with this, but it's the first time that all of them are together, all the young kids, um, and they're all dealing with the situation in a different way, and it shows so much about the characters. Luke gets taken by the little <laughs> Dianoga, and... <laughs> Leia's like, what happened? Like, let's help him. And Han's like, doesn't really do much, right? <laughs> well, what's funny is Han is Han is trying to shoot it, but Chewie is the one in the back who's like clawing at the door. Yeah, it's so funny. He's like such a, you know, a big coward. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I, um, just, I mean, that scene is just hilarious because they're all yelling at each other the whole time. But then also yeah. when... Um, when Luke comes up, Leia's, Leia doesn't go, how are you? Are you okay? She just immediately segues into, what happened? Like, she needs yeah. information to, to assess the situation immediately. No yeah, time she's, for, she's for catching no, her breath. What does she say when she gets back to Yavin 4? Um, she says, no, no do for sorrows. Yeah, and that's basically her mo is you know no time for emotions right now like we got to get to the mission the mission the mission the mission you know which i think if you if you're thinking about rogue one which i realize is not a part of machete order but you understand how intense the battle of scarif was Mm -hmm. and she knows that vader is right on their heels yeah too even without rogue one Oh, yeah, it adds a total sense of urgency that was already there, but is even there further now that we have Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we should talk more in part three. It's Darth Vader! Watch out! And he's got a lightsaber! It's Kenner's Star Wars action figures, each sold separately. I got you now, Ben Kenobi! 
with R2-D2 and C-3PO. There's even Chewbacca and Han Solo. Someone's coming, Chewie. Who's there? It's Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. Now I know the Force is with us. Darth Vader, R2-D2, C-3PO, and other Kenner Star Wars action figures, each sold separately. Okay, part three. Let's talk how this fits into the machete order. I know we've discussed it a little bit more, but do we like this transition? Is it a yes or is it a no? I I really like it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I don't, I don't know if I would show a person who's never seen Star Wars it this way, but I I really like it. I think it's it's really interesting and maybe it's just because I've never watched these films back to back like this. Mm-hmm. But I think, I don't know, like I said, I, I think it's fun how it's kind of A New Hope and, and then Empire, I think, too, will become this little mystery game almost of what's happened. And then you'll get this huge shock at the end that Vader is is Luke's father and therefore Anakin. And then you'll be like, oh, my God, mind blown. And then you'll immediately segue into episodes two and three. I like it. I do. I like it, too. Um, I think I like it more than adding in one before two and three in yeah. the machete order mm-hmm. yeah i definitely like it more than that but do you like i mean do you like keeping phantom menace in machete order at all or do you do you think we don't need it necessarily for this order viewing i'm not sure i might i think i'm with you with like i don't think i'd show someone who had never seen star wars before the phantom menace first like just in general so i probably wouldn't do it this way but i do think like as a fan it is a really cool way to watch the series again. And mm-hmm. I'm sure most people that are listening, like I would say 99% of them <laughs> are fans. So um, I think we can call it an even 100. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I think I would encourage people to try it this way because it is a really cool transition that I truly did not expect. And you can go back and listen to our Phantom Menace episode. We didn't think we were going to like this at all. Yeah. I didn't think I would like it for the reasons that I do. Yeah. I thought it would just be like, oh, it's kind of cool that so much time has passed and things are really different. Wonder how that happened. But Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan is such a bigger character for me in A New Hope after watching Phantom Menace. Yeah, me too. And his it makes his death in a weird way more meaningful. And I know that we're going to feel a little bit more tug on our heartstrings as we go back and watch two and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, Obi-Wan is in every single movie and not except like the force awakens so i guess um he is just a little bit yeah just a little bit yeah (laughs) (laughs) now we're we're in part three caitlin you can talk about what you texted me the other night about (laughs) ray kenobi oh oh my gosh (laughs) okay so i I talked about this on the D23 episode, right? Uh, yeah, you did, on the D23 one. Okay, so you can go back and check our D23 episode to hear my full discussion about this. But in the new trailer, the behind-the-scenes footage for The Last Jedi, you see Rey with her lightsaber um, going around, but she's got her hood up, okay? Her Jedi hood up. And so Charlotte and I were having our, our Star Wars texting conversation, as we usually do, and I was like, no other Jedi really puts their hoods up when they fight, you know? They always, it's always very dramatic. They take their hood off, take their robe off, and then get ready to duel. But, guys, Obi-Wan Kenobi in A New Hope fights with his hood up when he goes <laughs> against Darth Vader. And I texted Charlotte this in all caps. I was like, 
OMG, this is incredible. This is a parallel. She's Ray Kenobi. It's decided. So <laughs> A New Hope helped confirm for me even more that Ray is Ray Kenobi. <laughs> Caitlin, it's all about the Ray Kenobi thing. I'm I still am. not sold. But I, again, I, I don't think it's what they'll do, but I would really like it. That That's my yeah. favorite theory, but I don't think they'll actually do it. But <laughs> the, the hood parallel is a little, it's pretty strong evidence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It'd be hard to refute that, don't you think? <laughs> oh so, gosh. Caitlin, here's another question for you. Oh, boy. Is this the ultimate Star Wars movie? Yes. Why? Because it's the one that can stand on its own. It started everything. You don't you don't need the other movies to appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I think agree. for that it, it's not my favorite. Return of the Jedi is my favorite, but I think it's the ultimate Star Wars movie. There was a brief time that this was my favorite movie just because of that reason, and I think the end the ending is so epic. <laughs> and then you know, this is the start of this is the start of everything, like the music, um the space battles, the special effects, um, these characters, that it's easy for it to be at one point in every fan's life their favorite. But I think you're, you're totally spot on. It's the only one that's a complete movie. You watch it, and if this is the only Star Wars movie you ever see, you're like, you're all right, the Empire is gone, and mm-hmm. everyone lives happily ever after. And it's very fairy tale. Except for Chewie with his no Except for, <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> but but it's okay it's okay still another happy note um so what do you think it is about this movie that is the star wars feeling um the sense that anyone can uh do whatever they set out to do and, and do you think that translates in the other films like in empire strikes back um no because empire strikes back is like a transitionary film so does empire have that star wars feeling well, we'll see. <laughs> Next episode. We're not there yet, Caitlin. Jeez. I mean, my answer is going to be yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, but it's it just kind of, I guess I was thinking. It, the Star Wars feeling changes. Yeah, it does. And and I guess I was thinking, too, about our conversation about Star Wars feeling being the characters or the environment mm-hmm. and how, I think for A New Hope, you're right, it is the characters that embody that Star Wars feeling, but then both throughout the next films and throughout the past 40 years, I think a big part of Star Wars environment is the feel, is the, blah. I think a big part of the Star Wars feeling is the environment. When you say environment, what do you mean? Like I mean, planets? Like the, the, I mean the like look? the setting, yeah, the look of A New Hope in that lived-in galaxy. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people I agree. So r- really you're thinking about like Tatooine, like sandy desert planets like Jakku, right? And yeah. like... Um, almost like stark and lived in imperial facilities is yeah. what you're talking well, about. Yeah, right? and like how in the Millennium Falcon you see like scuff marks on the walls. Yeah, it's um very real, tangible. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> that is a Star Wars feeling. But I really do think that the prevailing thing that makes Star Wars Star Wars is the sense of hope. And also the music. Like there's a couple different components obviously at play yeah, about like yeah, all the is. things that you have to check. You're right. We haven't even talked about music. I mean, this is the most iconic soundtrack that there ever was created. Mm-hmm. Ever. That's true. Yeah. Honestly, if you put any Star Wars score over top of a movie, we we can say it has Star Wars feeling. I know. That's the thing. <laughs> it's like, so I, I almost like 
would say that that's probably the number one thing. <laughs> I think you're right. Now that we're talking about it, it's like I think that's I think and, that's it. And just for the record, Michael Giacchino did capture that Star Wars feeling for oh, yeah. both of us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so I think that it can be done without John Williams. It just has to be heavily orchestral and symphonic. Yeah, and I think Michael Giacchino did a very different score than a John Williams Star Wars saga film score. Yeah. Yeah, but it still it like, still worked. Yeah, evoked a feeling. Yeah, it did. You know, Caitlin and I really love to talk about like the history of Star Wars because it's a really big part of our fandom and something that we love about Star Wars. And I think a lot of people would feel the same way. But you know, Star Wars really did start the consumerism of movies. Of I mean, film. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. In the George Lucas biography that I'm forgetting who wrote it, but it's right outside (laughs) right now. Um, (laughs) They talk about how Jaws basically, which is a couple years before Star Wars, totally mass marketed itself by putting that poster everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I think Star Wars put it, took that concept, Steven Spielberg's concept, and totally blew that up and sold the rights and slapped on everything and you know in the spirit of the fact that this weekend is comic-con um star wars was the first film to be featured at right caitlin am i right about that yeah the first film to be featured in comic-con in san diego yeah 1976 yeah and that was when george lucas had to have the star wars book finished correct yeah and yeah um you know, I think the Star Wars Twitter account posted a picture today, which I had never they seen. Did. Yeah, no, no, neither had I. But it, it is really interesting just how much Star Wars has become entrenched in our society. And it was such a paradigm shift in how film was created and consumed. There's before Star Wars and there's after Star Wars. And I yeah. think you see <laughs> the beginnings of that in films like Jaws, like you were saying, but Star Wars really just was like the big kaboom that started everything (laughs) like the reason films are made the way they are today is because of the things that star wars did back in 1977 and also the way that star wars did things back in 1999 with the phantom menace and technology um which we touched on in our in our last episode um but what i keep thinking about now is when we had the guys from a star wars comic on a couple weeks ago and they were talking about their star wars dinner and how um who said it? Um, Jim said that he would want to bring to a Star Wars dinner George Lucas right before A New Hope premiered in 1977, that that's when he would want to talk to George Lucas. And I think that would be amazing to just be able to pick George Lucas's brain about how he knew that this would all work, that all <laughs> this like, marketing would work, or, or if he really even knew that it would work. I know. That's the crazy thing. And I yeah. I think he did because I think he that he had, had such to. a firm vision. Yeah, and he was he like, if it to. doesn't work, then like in my brain, I think it works. It, it's so crazy when you think about all the stories that come out of how A New Hope was created and how it was just this like a ragtag team and no <laughs> one really knew what they were doing and you had all these models being created, but no one really understood the full vision and fashion more intense. No one got it. But George Lucas got it. Mm-hmm. And and he just kept going forward no matter what. And when it came to things like Fox not being totally on board with his vision, he was like, that's okay, I got this. He <laughs> took the movie to Comic-Con. He got Kenner involved. Like, he did all of these things 
with all of these people telling him that it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so incredible because we we tend to think of George Lucas as this very quiet guy, you know, who's not – I don't know. I don't think of him as an outspoken person, and, and I could be wrong about that. Or like a pusher. Yeah. The, yeah. You, you, I think you. a lot of people see him as a bit of a pushover. Yeah. Um, the opposite of actually what he was in 1977, 1976, actually even before that with his – previous films you know he was like the innovator the new kid on the block the guy who knew exactly what he wanted to do he was and he did it and he's awesome freaking did it (laughs) (laughs) again we're here to give him credit because not enough people do i swear yeah no they really don't i think it's easy to forget in the um the backlash against the prequels how incredible george lucas is Mm -hmm. um and just how much you really had to have some confidence in your vision to do everything that he did back then. I know. And it's like, we should take some of that. I wish I could. I wish I could like harness that confidence that mm-hmm. clearly George Lucas had in his product, in what he was making, Yeah, you know, and put it into like basically everything that I do. <laughs> I know. It's just, you think about it and you think about if you, anything you're working on right now and to imagine that you were having all of your bosses telling you no. Mm-hmm. Is like no, this is this isn't gonna work. We're not giving you any money. We don't think this is worth it. Blah 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 blah. And you still do it because you know that it's going that it to is. work out. That it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just think that's incredible. And I wish I had that kind of chutzpah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, uh, be more like George Lucas in 1977. Hashtag. Is that the goal? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I think all throughout Star Wars world. Hmm. Star Wars time in our in our universe. George Lucas has always had a clear vision of what he wants to do, and he has created that vision. Whether or not we've liked his vision is another story, mm-hmm. but he has always chased after his vision and achieved it, I think. Yep, totally. Fully agree. Yeah. And A New Hope is the beginning of that. Yes, yes. And I feel like we should end the show on that super high note because mm-hmm. – you know, there's no movie like A New Hope, A New Hope. you know, and I think it is, I've said this maybe four times in this podcast, but definitely top five favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. Easy. And it's so influential and it cannot be understated and we can't talk about all the ways that it's influential in an hour-long podcast. <laughs> no, we really can't. So again, oh, well, if yeah. something you think is super important. <laughs> and we'll try to in our run as Sky Talkers is Galactic Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tweet us. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's probably going to wrap up the show. Um, just a few notes that we'll go through. <laughs> um, I didn't know if you guys knew, but we have a Tee Public store. Right now it's on sale. I don't know how long it's going to be on sale for, but if you loved our bumper stickers, you can get that on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or like whatever you want, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Put it here, put it there, put it everywhere. Basically, yeah. And don't forget to vote in our poll for what we should do for our free Patreon discussion, whether it should be Corvette Summer or the Big Red One for the Mark Hamill discussion. 
And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or individually. Charlotte's Twitter is at Crarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. You can also find us on Instagram at SkytalkersPodcast for pictures of things related to our fandom and anything else we want to show you guys. And of course, we also have our main website, skytalkers.com. And if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon page. Um, We'd be eternally grateful. And that's also where you'll be able to find all of our episodes on Moulin Rouge and next week, either Corvette Summer or The Big Red One. And we want to give a big shout out to our Patreons, Chuck, Emma, and Amy. One more thing. For those who have left us a review, we love you. Seriously, it helps us out so much. So thank you. And as always, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sky Talkers, This Galactic Life, part of the Assembly of Geeks podcasting network. Find the girls on skytalkers.com and we'll see you next time.